From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MVW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in, but why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome into a Tuesday edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast, Tuesday, May the 12th. Hope you and yours are well out there today on the show. Stephen Godfrey of Banner Society joins for uh, almost an hour of college football talk. We talk uh, some college football. We talk a lot of the big picture stuff, a lot of uh, how college football comes back, how it looks when it comes back, the different variables that are involved in that. I think you will find it to be a, a very interesting conversation, and we'll get to it in just a few minutes, first, I want to tell you about uh, the Oxford Exxon, Highway 6 West in Oxford right now. You can download the Speed Pass Plus app. You can uh, pay without having to touch the pump or the card reader. Obviously, uh, safer during uh, the pandemic and all the things that we're going through. Uh, obviously, uh, also the Oxford Exxon is a one-stop shop, man. You can get everything that you're looking for there. Um you, you, obviously, besides filling up, you can go in. Great selection of uh, of beer and soda and all the different things. Uh, get a snack on your way in or out of Oxford. You can also stop next door at the Oxford Crystal, and uh, you can fill up in a different way there. They've got curbside uh, to go, but you also can go in now as some of the in in dining uh, laws have been uh, backed off a little bit. There's a little more. Uh, little more room for you to get out and enjoy yourself saw where some people got out in different places in oxford uh, yesterday had some tweets and text about that so good to see us at least starting to get back to something resembling normal i'm coming to you from the clark ford studios clark ford's in amory mississippi 662-257-1900 that number call it ask for Corey clark tell Corey what ford product you're looking for he'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours um, what happens is you get that quote and the rest is completely up to you. You can shop it around and uh, use it as a gauge elsewhere, or you can do what I've done, what I recommend that you do, and that's hop into a Clark Ford today. You will love the product. You'll love the service after the sale. Corey and the people there at Clark Ford go above and beyond uh, anything that you would ever call normal as it pertains to service. They really want to be your truck guy, your car guy, and they'll prove that to you when you make the call. 662 257 1900 Stephen Godfrey and all other guests join us on the rafters music and food hotline rafters on the water is open it is located at the Sardis Marine come experience uh, outdoor dining unlike any place in North Mississippi the menu offers shrimp and uh, Mississippi catfish platters along with gourmet burgers and Louisiana style po'boys served on Leidenheimer French bread it's uh, Wednesday through Thursday from 3 30 to 10 Friday through Sunday, 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. They've got a newly expanded picnic-style dining area. Uh, some signature appetizers such as Zydeco shrimp, crawfish egg rolls. Uh, live music coming as soon as uh, Tate Reeves, the governor of Mississippi, allows it. And so uh, you can start making some plans for that as we get into the summer months. Rafters offers a variety of fun cocktails, including their famous house frozen margarita. And if you're not quite comfortable uh, sitting down in a restaurant, that's okay. You can get uh, to-go and curbside pickup available as well. Call 662-712-6162. A lot of news today about Major League Baseball, about Major League Soccer. Uh, Major League Soccer talking about going to Orlando and quarantining all 26 franchises to uh, get their season restarted. Major League Baseball, the owner's presented a uh, proposal to the players yesterday. The players expected to address that proposal today and uh, start uh, they'll, they'll start the process of assuming that they can reach a labor agreement, which right now is one hell of an assumption. Assuming that they can reach a labor agreement, they uh, will start making plans for a, a second spring training in Arizona and Florida. And uh, all indications are Major League Baseball is hoping and at this point intending to play baseball in Major League stadiums without fans somewhere around the first uh, week of July, perhaps the 4th of July weekend. So 
A lot to look forward to. We touch on these topics a little bit as they relate to college football, but what's coming up for you now is a conversation with Stephen Godfrey of uh, Banner Society. A lot of college football, a lot of SEC West talk as well. So I think you'll enjoy it. Without further ado, we go to the Rafters Music and Food Hotline and Stephen Godfrey. My friend Stephen Godfrey of Banner Society, uh, kind enough to join us on the Oxford Exxon podcast today. Stephen, uh, good to talk to you. hope you're well. I am good. How are you? I'm, I'm good. How long did it take you to recover from all the McDonald's that you uh, that you ate for oh, charity? Oh, God. Uh, it's the last time I'll ever eat McDonald's, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> I, was, uh, I was, a lot of parents can identify with this. I was driving a three-year-old around to make him sleep the other day. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of a precarious situation. I needed to just get a, just, I didn't put water in the car with me. And so I had to roll through very quietly a McDonald's drive through I just was like on the side of the road and get a cup of water. And I actually had kind of a revulsive response. <laughs> I have to tell you um, that that jacket you wore, I actually really liked it. I tried to think like what, what was the dumbest, weirdest, embarrassing thing I own. And the backstory on that jacket was it was like bought at a Stuckey's. Um, and presented to me at uh, right before I got married by one of my friends. So I was like, "Well, if we're going to do this and it's going to be stupid, let's let's go whole hog," you know. I liked it. It was it was a it was really good. And then you had the, you had the game that the, that game for you is probably my Bartman game as a as a Cubs fan. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah. yeah. It, I don't. But I had to. I mean, you know, I had to do it because someone <laughs> donated two two thousand eight hundred and three dollars. Amazing. Which is just, you know, the, the the calculus on sports is is that I can take the thing I hate the most, and one person to be spiteful or whatever or funny or both gave almost three grand to furloughed restaurant workers. Yeah. So I mean, I was yeah, I was. I'll take that. I'll take that L. You know, I think yeah. that was, I think it was a fun thing to do. And and it, I and I don't know the person who did it. I'm guessing the person. I don't either. It I, is anonymous. I'm guessing the person who did it did it to be funny and, and not spiteful, but to be yeah. funny. And and if that was the case, then you know it, it it he achieved he or she achieved his or her goal. It, it was funny. I mean, it, I laughed when I saw yeah, that number. I, I was like, oh, that's great. I mean, that is. That's insane. Yeah, I mean, that, look, that's and, awesome. And the thing is, like, even if they were spiteful, I'll take your money. You know, I'll take a, a charitable donation of 2800 bucks. Sure. Um, because when you split that up, you know, it was good. It, the, the, the whole thing went to three different funds to help restaurant workers either get cash money to pay bills or actually go and pick up meals from restaurants that are still operating in Nashville. And, you know, either way, you break up twenty, you know, $2,800, if somebody makes 100 bucks in lunch at a nice restaurant, you know, in tips, that's 28 people that basically had their lunch shift returned to them. So I was happy to do it. And we ended up raising, oh, I don't even remember anymore, but it was like, it was over $10,000. So I felt good. Yeah, that's, I didn't feel good from eating the food. <laughs> that's fantastic, though. I, I was watching it on uh, that next morning. And uh, my wife came in and said, "What are you doing?" Because she needed me to run a couple of errands or whatever. I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, it's hard to explain. I'm, I'm watching. Yeah. I'm watching Stephen. Somebody throw up. Yeah, I'm watching Stephen eat McDonald's, and she's like, "What?" And I, and I told her, I said, "Well, he did this thing for charity, and he's just getting started." Like literally, I was sitting there on the edge of the bed watching as you were just kind of still unwrapping and discussing strategy, yeah. and and she's like, "How long is this going to take?" I'm like, "I don't know, but I can't stop now. I'm I'm in." And <laughs> it's terrifying. And I then, will say this: you, you, I feel for the people who watch because you know you you do shows and I do shows and podcasts and radio and stuff, and and we have a pretty good understanding of what it takes to keep an audience engaged. The same, like it's the opposite mindset to plow through that food. You don't want to be like talkative and yeah. entertaining in that moment. And yeah. so there was a lot of chatter at the beginning of the stream. And then there's definitely a moment and I have not watched it, but I remember it <laughs> uh, where I'm just like, I, I can't do the, I can't do the small talk because I could just feel my body like rejecting me. And so it gets really really quiet for a while and it's just really it, it, it's just a sad looking man doing a sad thing <laughs> if it makes you feel any better i watched it twice i i, I and, uh, and i know what you're talking about but in those moments i was captivated because i knew 
he's going through kind of a, a hell here, and he's just oh, it's painful. He's just grinding. I mean, these are if if it were a baseball season, these are the dog days, and and yeah. he, he's just grinding through it. And it was it was I was riveted, I, and I I couldn't figure the out why. The only thing he exactly. didn't make a stream here's here's the director's cut, which I should have kept going. You know, I broadcast it from a laptop, so the camera doesn't have a lot of mobility. Yeah. But after I shut the stream down, probably in the last minute of the stream, I was like, I'm feeling like go to the hospital sick, which is not a good thing in the middle of a pandemic. And so I was like, all right, guys, thanks. Good night. You know, I did it, whatever. And then I walked outside into my backyard and that's when the real throwing up started. Oh, like it was intense. I I barfed once on the stream and it was like, ah, he ate too much. And then this was more of like, you know, you learn, my sister works, my sister's a geneticist and she's like studied human biology and all this stuff. And she was explaining like, this was a pure rejection of, this was the body in survival mode. So the next time you drive by a McDonald's, I want you to think about that because no one in America should eat that food. Yeah, I I, I was actually, I was thinking of someone, one of our mutual friends asked me uh, that next day, he said, when was the last time you ate McDonald's? And I couldn't remember. I said it's been at least ten years, and and yeah. and and I, I was thinking because someone asked me, you know, would you do that? And I said, no, I wouldn't. I mean, I, I admired you for doing it, but I was like, no, I wouldn't do it. And there there are just certain there are certain things I wouldn't do. That that's that was a, a kind of a bridge too far. I just I just wouldn't do it. And and but yeah, I, I don't. I was thinking about it as I was watching you eat it. I was like, he doesn't typically eat stuff like this that much. And like that second burger. No, and, and- yeah, and then, like, you and I, we would go to, like, eat a burger somewhere, yeah. right? I'm not a purist. Right. Um, I, I usually uh, try and uh, I stay on a, a version of the keto diet, um, just especially in, in – I mean, we're going to get really inside baseball here, but, like, a lot of people listening probably don't have access to a gym right now, and I don't run. And so I'm, like, trying to keep my weight down. When you throw all that junk in your system, like, it's, it's – you, you give yourself the flu, essentially, yeah. Oh, uh, there's no doubt. It just it's not good. It's it's simply not good for you, and it's been proven. Yeah. yeah. I, I just don't want to be the guy on here who's like I'm not a health food junkie. Like I, uh, you know, I love like if I'm in Oxford, I will go to Handy Andy's and go to town. Right. Like, they have so a great burger. Yeah, yeah. but that's the difference. Like, difference. like like I love the blind pig, and I can go to the blind pig and 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 throw my my dietary concerns to the side. But that means yes. that that means that I'm going to have a burger. And I'm probably going to put jalapenos on it, and I'm probably going to put cheese and bacon, and I'm going to get the 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 uh, chips that are so freaking good. I'll probably get the barbecue flavor, and I'm going to have a few beers, and but I'm not going to go back and have a second burger and a third burger. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. that's the difference. I'm I'm, I'm not going to leave there and go find a hot fudge pie someplace I'm, I'm, and eat the whole yeah, thing. I I mean, that's I the difference. The quality too. I think it's the quality of food. Like, yeah. Yeah. I have a friend who's a, uh, I have a friend in my neighborhood. He's an LSU fan and we talk football a lot and uh, he's a butcher and he can, I mean, if you, if you're trying to, to cut fast food out of your life, talk to a butcher because a butcher will explain to you in very horrific terms what you're actually eating when you roll through a fast food restaurant. Now, all that being said, I still have like soft spots in my heart. Like if I'm in the vicinity of like a Whataburger in Texas, they, they, they're great. You know, I, I will eat at a Waffle House happily. It's just more, there's something about that really, really low rung burger joint to me that's like killing America. Absolutely can't stand it. All right. Let's talk about this, this subject that uh, when people like you and I have a conversation, it, we get there pretty quickly. And that is. The return of sports, specifically in this case, the return of uh, of college football. As we record this, it's uh it's eleven thirteen a.m. Central Time on May the twelfth. People will hear this probably later in the day on May the twelfth. But just in the event that news breaks in the middle of the day, you'll you'll know why we didn't talk about it here. We're not fortune tellers. What do you along those lines? What what is your general feeling today as to what the uh, the college football landscape will look like come uh, Labor Day? Um, well, let me start by saying this. I think what we've seen the last 30 days is uh, this unstoppable need to fill the void. And uh, I was really, probably the most interesting quote I've seen is from Mitch Barnhart, the Kentucky athletic director. And I want to say it was yesterday, maybe. Um, he, and he basically said, what's, what's wrong with saying we don't know yet? Yeah. 
And I kind of laugh because I'm, I've, I've interviewed Barnhart before, and I think he's a really, really smart guy. And, you know, I'm a college football writer specifically, and so he and I have had a lot of conversations about Longview. It's kind of ironic because he was the guy who took a bet on Mark Stoops, waited forever, which you don't do in the SEC, and he won. Kentucky football has never been this successful or consistent. Um, and it's funny because he adopted the exact same mentality, so it seems, on COVID, which is why – why are we making declarative statements right now? We don't know. Um, so what you've seen in the last four to five, to maybe even six weeks, I think in regard to college is, you know, we created a 24 seven news cycle on a sport that lasts four months a year. We did that. All of us. Yeah. You know, I pay my mortgage off this stuff. And sure. I, I'm as guilty as anybody. So I don't want to just laugh at the sec network, although I'm going to laugh at the sec network because, they have to fill that time every day. We all, we're all filling the time every day. And so to be speculative is just human nature. What I really appreciated about what Barnhart said is, is that it's the closest to the truth right now as we've seen, which is if you distill the situation down and you, and you, try, and, and you try to become apolitical, we don't know. Because there are, there are a couple key factors everyone can agree upon in order to have a season. And right now, what it takes for those factors or those boxes to be checked or, you know, whatever, however you want to say it, we, we're not really sure if we can do that. That doesn't mean yes, and it doesn't mean no. And I think in the last maybe two to three weeks, we've seen a hyper-politicalization of, of the entire situation, not just in sports, but just in America. That doesn't change the reality of not knowing. I think we, we have to wait um, I think both sides agree that we have to test and both sides agree that we have to get more information. Um, so if you ask me, are we going to play for, uh, college football on Labor Day? Right now, I don't know. But that is not a no and it's not a yes. Um, I think it's been... I, 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 the, the only dumb people in the room to me are the ones who are making declarative statements one way or the other. Agreed. Um, so it's funny because this is a sport that lives in every state in a very divided country. And so you have the governor of Oregon flat out coming out and saying, well, we're not going to do anything in September. And that's pretty serious because Oregon, one, is one of the best teams in the country. And two, was supposed to host Ohio State. That's a pretty, pretty big football game. You know, uh, that is a almost a 180 from what you're seeing and feeling and hearing and reading on message boards in the Southeast, which is we'll do it ourselves if we have to. And we're going to, you know, LSU, Georgia, uh, a lot of major football schools have said, well, we're going to have people on campus. Like, you know, and it, there, there may be a, a pretty strong increase in, uh, you know, online enrollment, but our school is going to be open. And, and you kind of get the idea there. What they're what they're actually saying is we're going to have enough plausible deniability to allow for college sports to be played because we need the money. Well, and, and, and you're in towns and you're familiar, obviously, with with Oxford. I mean, you're in towns like Oxford and Starkville and, uh, you know, Athens and, and across the board where if. If you don't have students on campus and all of the things that come with having students on campus, it's an economic catastrophe. Yes. Beyond, but it's before you even yeah. get to the sports. Yes. The, the support economy is a very real thing. And I think that you're going to see, you're going to see some painful realities uh, this year on, you know, before you talk about football weekends, I think you're going to see some pretty painful, uh, you know, retraction of, of, of all that you know, supplementary like economy where I'm talking about everything from bars and restaurants to bookstores to, you know, people who run storage units, people, all of the different things that the student culture spends money on in these college towns, that's going to change. And then the next thing that changes is, are you going to have the athletic revenue and the trickle down effect of, you know, families coming into town for the weekend, going to games, buying tickets, tailgating, staying in hotels, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's, that latter situation is what everyone's kind of focused on right now, but we're just not there yet. Take a break in the show to tell you about Community Mortgage located in Oxford, Memphis, Soto County, and Chattanooga. Underwriting processing is done in Memphis. So you're getting local underwriting and understand your market. A leader in condo financing in Oxford and the flow down option where you can lock in the current rate, but if rates go down before you close, you get the lower rate. 662-234-2704 
or J-L-O-W-E at communitymtg.com. Also brought to you by G&M Pharmacy on South Lamar in Oxford. Also Tyson Drugs on the Square in Holly Springs. Both those locations are open for regular business hours. Tyson's is utilizing a walk-up window. And G&M is offering curbside service there in Oxford. Both stores are dedicated to local delivery and still able to deliver same day as well. 662-236-2222. The podcast brought to you by Visit Oxford. VisitOxfordMS.com is the website. Click the very top so you have to support Oxford during COVID-19. You can see a list of all retailers, restaurants with curbside with delivery options to uh, help you out there if you need that list. Also ways to support hospitality workers who are out of jobs right now in Oxford between Tip Roulette and some other options that you have. Again, visit OxfordMS.com. Podcast also brought to you by Special Orthopedic Group. They are open in Tupelo and Oxford. You can skip the ER for urgent ortho-related injuries at both locations. They're offering, offering virtual health telemedicine. Patients have direct access to all SOG physicians and nurse practitioners. Patients have 24-hour access to appointments at 662 767 4200 or SOGMS.com. No referral is needed. Walk-ins are welcome. And then last but not least, we're brought to you by In-House Interior and Design, 662-681-6241. You can call. You can text. They are available for you. I talked to Nikki this week. They've getting picking up more clients because people are home right now. They're seeing things around their house they want to change. They want to fix up. They offer new client gifts. They offer dorm room appointments whenever that does uh, come with discounts as well. So you can find out more, text or call 662-681-6241. All right, let's touch on some things that, that I'm hearing, that I'm sure you're hearing, because if I'm hearing things, you're hearing things multifold. You're at, at this point in your career with what you do with uh, versus what I do. You, you, you have to view things from a macro standpoint. You have to have sourcing all over the place, and you do. So... Uh, I'm going to kind of pick your brain a little bit. I'm hearing in SEC programs specifically, multiple, that they're going, the plan as of today is to start bringing guys back to town slash campus in June to do it incrementally, to uh, to get guys in, and then the, if everything continues to progress in a way that it seems to be progressing, at least in this part of the country as it pertains to the virus, they're going to be able to do a spring camp slash fall camp throughout the month of July with their goal on an on-time start to the season. Are you hearing something similar to that around SEC sourcing? Yeah, that, that, so that's the idealist uh, plan. And, and I, don't, I don't even know if I'd call it a plan yet, but it, it's kind of the rough whiteboard sketch that I'm, that I'm hearing about, which is can we be in organized team activities by 4th of July? Uh, that's kind of been the big question everyone has asked in the on the actual football side of this, not the administrative side or the television side, but when you talk about football coaches and trainers and players and and strength and conditioning and the actual football parts, everyone seems to land right on that. Like, well, can I get my hands on them after the fourth? Because then what you're talking about is getting, you know, what they're about eight weeks of of some sort of sequential conditioning slash practice slash camp program. Um, I would not be shocked if the NCAA just didn't just rewrite the rules for the summer and let them stay in organized team activities all the way through the fourth through Labor Day. However, that would be a disadvantage to some, believe it or not. Um, up, look, I'm just going to say this before we, we, we talk about the possibilities. Yeah. Any change is going to upset a lot of people in the football world because they're they're all creatures of habit and they're aggressive creatures of habit. Yes. But if you get in and slap pads in July, you're going to experience a higher uh, percentage of attrition by the time Labor Day comes, especially if these kids are grossly out of shape. So and they're going, they're to, and they're going to be. They're, and they're not yeah. all going to be, but it's 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 not possible if you've built. If anybody who's ever done any type of weight training, any type of bodybuilding, any type type of conditioning, if you got into a condition in a certain way, and then you take that away, no matter how hard you try. I mean, we're seeing this in the Michael Jordan documentary right now. Like in the last, I'm not to play spoiler alert. When Michael Jordan went from training for basketball to training for baseball, when he went back to basketball, he had this is one of the greatest athletes in the history of man. He had to quote, "Get my basketball body back," end quote. Yeah, yeah. and that took months. 
And so it's it's not realistic that the starting defensive tackle on your favorite team is going to come back in July and be as football ready as he probably was in March when they were getting geared up for spring and they'd had a specific type of training to get him ready because the odds are overwhelming at his home and wherever his home may be, he's not had access to that level of equipment. Well, not only that, I think you know the thing that I've heard is – there's always an anxiety when they, when they go away and, you know, college, by the way, it, it, some people might not know this college sports in its aggressive push towards professionalization, even though they don't pay their players legitimately, pretty much keeps these kids year round. Now you don't have organized activities. Like for instance, in the, like particular months, you can't have them on campus together and a football, an actual physical football be there. There's all these weird little rules and stuff, but they're in a strength conditioning program almost every day of the year that is overseen by the university. It is rare that the kids leave for more than two weeks at a time. And so not only does that upset coaches that these guys are going home, but they're not even going home to where they can go to the YMCA. Right. You know, they can't even go to a local gym. I think the bigger concern I've, I've seen and, and heard from coaches is, You've got to push these kids to self-motivate. Now you've got to push these kids to self-motivate and essentially DIY their own strength and conditioning programs at home. Yeah. And, I mean, you know this. It's a lot, a lot to of ask. These kids, yeah, a lot of these kids come from nothing as it is. And the prospect of, okay, look, you're going to do, like, what, a lot of a lot of body weight resistance? That's great, you know, if you're just doing push-ups and you're just using, you know, whatever you've got around and, and a lot of cardio. But that's not the same as a typical strength and conditioning program for a college athlete. So I think all this is, look, just to pull out for a second and look at kind of the larger view of this. Sure. I, I think this means that if we have football come Labor Day, you're going to see, uh, you're going to see young staffs uh, or new staffs, I should say. And I wrote about this last week at Banner Society. You're going to see newer staffs at a, at a bigger disadvantage. I think you're going to see younger rosters at a disadvantage for everything that we just said about conditioning. And I think overall, you're going to see a particular kind of athletic malaise. Um, and that's, you know, it is what it is. And you, you can't really fight that at this point. What you can take a little comfort from that and that everyone has been dealing with this. You know, it's not like this was a regional outbreak. You know, everyone in the country has had to deal with this from Hawaii to new England. And so, um, you would think it will affect everyone about the same, but we'll see. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where I keep seeing people talk about, well, it would only be fair if, or it would be a competitive disadvantage if, and my response to it is if the goal for this season coming up is to do it in a way where there is no competitive disadvantage for everyone or to do yeah. it in a way that is, quote, fair for everyone, then it's not going to happen because that's not, well, that's not possible. Let, let me stop you right there. Fair is not a is not a constant or an accepted value in college football. We don't run a fair sport. Okay, we've known that for years. I right. mean, if you just look at the financial discrepancies between Alabama, Florida, Michigan, and you know Texas State, Louisiana, Monroe, and Akron, okay, and we consider those teams to be of equal footing in designation, that's ludicrous. So fair is fair is a myth anyway in college football. Um, so I don't, ex- I, I certainly don't expect to see that playing field any more level than I would in any other year of the sport. Um, it just kind of shocks me that people, people talk about what's fair. Like this sport is designed to be unfair. Um, I will say that the one thing I've come back to is that, you know, we saw what 22 staff changes, I think 23, um, you know, every year we would talk on the various shows I do about which coaching staff or which program would you assign to a year zero and year zero is basically a term that we kind of kicked around Bill Connolly and I and the idea was what what coaching staffs need so much work that it's not year one it's year zero it's less than year one right so a good example last year was Georgia Tech right they're leaving the triple option and they open against Clemson so that's a team that when you look at and evaluate you would say Okay, they, they, they're, in, they're in a greater circumstance than we realize, right? I think this year, this is what I wrote about last week, you're going to have to give some of these programs year negative one. I'm going to be, that's not a joke. 
Um, and so I made up a list of schools, and the, the two SEC schools on there I thought were Arkansas and Mississippi State, but not Ole Miss, specifically because I think Ole Miss has a decent enough roster, and I think the way that schematically Lane Kiffin coaches, that you're going to see uh, portions of what worked last year for Ole Miss implemented immediately for the benefit of players who have not had time around the new staff. Oh, that's interesting, yeah. That's, that's Dude, a, I don't know. Yeah, that's fascinating. Like, when you look at Arkansas, for instance, that's going to be a wholesale change. And also, it's a much less talented roster, right? Arkansas is in a completely different world of pain than any other school in the SEC. Yeah. Second, you know, second then, you look at Mississippi State, I think it's a very talented roster. Obviously, there's a, it, it's just flat out more of a, a schematic experiment with what's going on with Mike Leach. Um, and I, and I, I'm not saying this, I have to be very careful because everything gets put into that stupid conspiratorial egg bowl thing. What I'm saying about Mississippi State versus Ole Miss is that I think state needs to be afforded more time to make an evaluation. The problem with that is they just fired a coach who won 14 games in his first two seasons, which is, I'll be honest with you in the best case scenario, that's about what you would expect from Mike Leach. He won 14 games in his first two seasons at Texas tech. He won, I think, six games in his first two seasons at Wazoo. And and, uh, and Mike Leach is off to a bad start because of the, the social media uh, snafu. that And, and look, I, I think people overreacted to it, but I'm, I'm not an African-American yeah. from Mississippi, so right, you know, right. I, don't, I don't have the perspective that, that, that the people who were offended by it have, and I'm not judging the, that one way or the other. But, you know, he is he's got it. Not only does he have to come in and, and get a team ready, he has to come in and kind of win the trust of his team. And then he's in a similar spot. I'll say it out loud. People push back a little bit. Lane Kiffin's not been in Oxford much. Mike Leach has not been in Starkville much. There's there's right, right. there's a lot of ties that still have to be built. There's a lot of trust that still has to be built. There's a lot of relationships that have to be built. And you're not going to have a lot of time to do that. It's one of the reasons that I think what's going to be interesting in a scenario where everything goes kind of according to best case scenario and on July the 4th ish, they're allowed to kind of get started. We're going to find out which coaches are uh, uh, pliable a little bit, which coaches are, 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 are flexible, which coaches are, uh, are smart. We're going to find out. We really are. We're going to find out who is, who is smart and who is just a robot. Yeah, and I think, you know, in just in terms of that division, I think that it's going to benefit Alabama because life usually tends to benefit Alabama. But there's consistency in that model, and they have a deep and talented roster. After that, um, LSU is going to be really, really interesting because of the fact they're replacing so much in so many places, staff and roster. Auburn benefit, I feel like. But when you talk about, the you know, the bottom side of the West now, I would give Lane Kevin a little bit of an edge because he tends to kind of kitchen sink things and he's he's very good at evaluating the whole of a concept schematically and then sort of kind of picking and choosing what he wants. And I, I remember, like, he ran an entire offense through a, a wide receiver, Amari Cooper, one year at Alabama in so many critical situations. And by and large, it worked, you know. Um, I think defensively Ole Miss is still messy uh, and I don't expect them to have a particularly good year. But I think it's a. I think you're concerned if you're Arkansas because you just can't get any lower than where you're at. And then if you're Mississippi State, I think you know the receiving core is not what you would probably need for that system right now. And then Costello is, I think, a really good quarterback, but he's never been in this kind of offense. You know, they're bringing a kid in from Stanford where they're running power. It's a lot of play action off of you know off. They're playing off of the run inherently. This kid's going to be throwing to spots and windows, and it's it's very much a different language as a passer. All right, let's get. I want to get back into some the the big picture stuff a little bit because that's the, I, these are the conversations that I hope we're getting to have in in August. Uh, there's obviously you talked about you know the the governor of Oregon talking about that in in this scenario which is is becoming more and more realistic here's the other thing that I'm hearing which is the SEC having more conversations about just playing an SEC schedule meaning just play yeah. just play the SEC games I don't know whether that means you add SEC games I don't know what that means but that there's there's going to be more regionalization that the uh, the that they, there's a, a a growing sentiment that the power fives uh, 
conferences and schools are not going to be in lockstep by the middle of the summer? Are, are, what, what's your sense on I that? Just, it's Part of me says I'll believe it when I see it because it's not so much about the sentiment of governors and school presidents as it is about the billion-dollar business that, that college football is. Um, and I believe if you have a single outlier, they will be brought to the norm. I, I feel like they will be brought back in. Um, if if it's just the Pac-12, for instance, that's resisting play, I think they'll make some sort of amends and then maybe they forfeit those games and I don't know. But if for some reason you saw the Big Ten and the Pac-12 specifically say, hey, we're not going to do this or we can't do this, the SEC is uniquely positioned. Maybe I, I would probably they're probably in the best position regionally to do an internal season. Maybe the Big 12. Um, you know, the ACC certainly isn't. They go all the way from Boston to Miami. Yeah, there's parts of the ACC that would be ready to roll, and there's parts of the ACC that conceivably would say, hey, it's, it's just no way. I mean, there's a big difference between Clemson, for example, and Boston yeah. College in, in so many different <laughs> – Syracuse in so many different yeah. ways. Yeah. Well, and, and the other thing, too, is that I think having, like – I think not only would you have some schools, you know, that are opposed ideologically, whatever, I think you would flat out have some schools say, we are going, this is happening. And then, you know, if, if you're not, we'll figure something else out. I think you could see a stronger division in that conference anywhere else. Yeah. I think what the, what the SEC would do, and and I'm not going to give this any more credence than it deserves, which is just a hypothetical and, you know, it, it, it's almost like simulating a war game. You know, this is just an exercise in thought. But okay. I think what the SEC would do is create a 10-game schedule. So what you would do is you'd play out your existing eight and you would add two from the other division. That would be the simplest and easiest way to do it. It keeps everybody in the same sort of geographic footprint. Um, obviously, the facilities are built and ready to go and host and the relationships are there, the travel you know, at this point, I think everyone has been everywhere since expansion. I'm pretty sure that's been the case. So, in other words, if yes. you're Texas A&M and suddenly, suddenly Florida is on your schedule, okay, well, you've been to Gainesville before. Your ops guys know how to handle that. Well, you know, you know where to get the hotel, all that kind of stuff, right? And I don't want to minimize um, the, the the arrangement of that travel because I know for a fact it's a ton of work. But it it, is. but you're not but you're not working blindly. I mean, if you're no. if you're Ole Miss, for example, and you're arranging your your travel to Columbia, Missouri, it's work and it's 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 You've done it, it before. It's backbreaking stuff. But there is a blueprint that you can basically follow that doesn't doesn't minimize the amount of labor that's involved. But but you're right. you're not operating with a blindfold. Is my point. Right, so in Oxford, for instance, you've got they play Florida, Vanderbilt, and I'm but trying to think, Neil. It's Florida, Vanderbilt, and uh, oh, you'd think I'd know the football schedule by now, but I, I you think I would too. Um, the point is, if they would add on, I know they that's don't it, though, them. right? That's it. You play the you play the one, and then well, they, they don't play Kentucky, and they don't play you know they don't play Georgia Kentucky, Missouri, Georgia, or. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, we're. This is always fun when you do these kind of shows because that way, someone right now is absolutely screaming at the top of their lungs <laughs> yeah, yeah. because they know the schedule. <laughs> yeah, um, and, it, and it proves you, it proves to have, people that we don't study it the way that that you do. We're kind of week to week more than more than most. But anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, I would say certainly this year, this year is not the year to, to invest a whole lot in schedule analysis. I'll put it that way. So what you would do is you would fill in your gaps on the agreed upon like times. You know. Uh, the, the nice thing about the Southeastern Conference is there's a rhythm to it. The first thing that they would do is they'd go, well, SoCon Saturday is dead, right? That that one Saturday where yeah. everybody plays a scrub game before the rivalry, and you would plug in the cross-division games. And that's it. That, you know, it would be – I mean, there's not much to it. You just add on an SEC game and yeah, you go to it. By the way, uh, Ole Miss's SEC games, uh, as I, I've looked it up, they have a home game against Florida in the East. Obviously, they have the permanent game at Vanderbilt, um, and then that's it. Yeah, that's what now, I thought. The interesting one for me right now, when you talk about contracts, is what do you do with a situation like these neutral site kickoffs? Because I forgot Ole Miss has one this year, yeah. right? In an indoor facility in Houston against right. against Baylor, where, frankly, if, if we're to a point where we can play football at that point, I would think a lot of people, and I've, I've had this conversation with some people, and, and no one really knows an answer yet because I don't think there is one. 
a lot you know if you told me and again now we're, we're truly just playing war games and having a thought exercise but if you told me that that uh that, that the people at, at Ole Miss and the people at Baylor in a conference call said you know we probably ought to play this thing outdoors not indoors uh Right. So then it becomes where. So then it's okay. Well, where do we move it? Now we don't have a lot of time to move it, and then you have to have the people that that the contract with the people in Houston. How do you how do you do that? And I, there's just a which leads into a conversation that I want to get to in a minute. I don't want to get there just yet because this is fascinating to me. The because uh, I do have another question about Power Five versus the other, but we'll we'll get we'll go. No, it, it all it's all interrelated. So we'll go here now. Games without fans. College football without fans. Can you do that, in, in your opinion, Stephen, can you do that year-long? Or at some point, do you have to be able to incorporate the fans, not only for the gate, but for the product, and to to continue to have some veil of the absurdity that is, hey, we're these are unpaid amateurs? Yeah, that's the biggest issue right now, because the consideration of removing fans is pretty easy from a business standpoint, you know, you're going to lose gate revenue in the, in the professional sports, but they're about to do it. You know, I think we're going to see if I had to make a prediction right now, uh, you'll see some sort of season closing tournament for both the NBA and the NHL major league baseball will run an abbreviated schedule, maybe entirely without fans or partially. And then the next thing I think you'll see is, um, the NFL, at maybe a restricted capacity, um, college it's all about the it's really about the messaging and and it's almost ironic neil that we're having we're having this debate on what does it look like if you if you say it's too dangerous for people but it's it's okay for our unpaid labor force to do this (laughs) because at the exact same time the ncaa is putting together this ridiculous response to the name image likeness debate which is essentially what they've done is they've told us what they think we want to hear which is that it's finally going to be okay for these kids to, you know, receive some sort of revenue from endorsement, but they, they didn't really outline how they were going to do it. They put, you want to talk about things I'm hearing about right now. Yeah. The only thing more than when are we going to get on campus is what the hell are we supposed to do with these sponsorship deals? Because they've said they can't do that. Boosters can't be involved. Kids can run endorsements. They, there, a lot of schools are really frustrated at the NCAA right now because they're, they're fine with the kids doing it but they don't want to have to be in charge of policing it. It's kind of amazing how little the NCAA actually does for the amount of money and clout that it takes up. Um, so all that's going on while the, the NCAA is trying to stay ahead of these state legislatures, North Carolina, California, that are trying to push for these likeness rights deals. So all this is happening. I think that they're trying to avoid a class action lawsuit and there wouldn't be a better silver bullet to fire at the NCAA than making unpaid labor play in a football stadium where people aren't allowed to attend because of their own health concerns. The Oxford Exxon podcast is also brought to you by John Edwards of Regency Travel Incorporated in Memphis. Been telling you for a while that uh, travel's going to get back to normal. It's not there yet, but we're headed in that direction. I got a note from John just the other day. He was letting me know about some uh, things that are either opened or are about to open out there. If you want to interested in those and you want to get in touch with him, uh, check out Kohler, Wisconsin. Four golf courses just opened on April the 24th. Uh, great deals there in Kohler. The Watercolor Inn in Seaside, Florida. Uh, it, it opened on May 1st. Beach access pools as well. Uh, the Kiswa Island in uh, South Carolina. All the hotels, the villas, and the homes—they opened on uh, they open on May the sixteenth. Two golf courses, uh, pools, beaches, also in South Carolina in Hilton Head, the Sea Pines Resort uh, there in Hilton Head. Hotels, uh, homes, May the sixteenth. Golf courses, pools, beaches opening as well. And then, uh, if you want a little something more, a little more exotic in uh, the British Virgin Islands, sailboat rentals with full crew, uh, all of that stuff opening up on June the 2nd, up to three couples, total of $14,500, all inclusive. If you want to get away and enjoy travel, things are opening up. You want to get in touch with John, 901-494-3387, or send him an email, jedwards at regencytravel.net. 
First-time clients save $50 off their first book trip just by telling John you heard about Regency Travel on the podcast. We're also brought to you by Oxford University Bank. OUB, locally owned and operated right here in Oxford. When you deposit money at OUB, that money and the vast majority of the bank's profits go right back into the Oxford community. OUB gives you the benefit of, the benefits of home, uh, all the comforts and benefits that you're used to from the big mega banks, except they give you a personal touch. All the technology and products you want, but there's no buttons to push, no wait. You get a live person when you call. Great customer service at OUB. You also get Casasa. It's the absolute best cash checking account. And with it, OUB will pay customers 2.5% interest on their balances up to $50,000 and refund ATM fees nationwide. They also have a commercial checking account now paying 1% interest as long as you keep $10,000 in the account. It comes with fully interactive online banking. To learn more, go to liveoxfordbankoxford.com or call 662-234-6668. OUB is FDIC insured. Amber brought to you by Bluff City Advisory Group, dedicated to building the future you desire. Founded in Memphis in 2019, their team is comprised of established and seasoned financial experts who came together to serve individuals and families of their beloved hometown. The firm is built on decades of wealth management experience, and they've seen it all. Their financial advisors have a reputation for professional excellence, and their clients rely on their high level of confidence and integrity. So whether you need guidance on developing a financial plan, creating a customized executive benefits program for your business, or preparing a detailed asset allocation analysis, Bluff City Advisory will provide forward-thinking, cost-effective investment strategies customized to uniquely fit each client. 901-365-3447 or email ben, B-E-N, at bluffcityadvisory.com. And we're brought to you by Whitney McNutt of Tommy Morgan Incorporated Realtors. She sponsors my weekly mailbag on rebelgrove.com, and she can also serve you for all your real estate needs in Oxford and Tupelo. She sells condos, land, commercial, and residential family homes. To get in touch with Whitney, 662-567-2573 or 662-842-3844. It's, it's, it doesn't, Stephen, it doesn't work. It, 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 it's, it's such a, it's such a bad look. I mean, I've tried, I've tried to get my mind to wrap around that idea and I, I can't get there. It, 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 the, the pushback from that in, in a public way would be so vitriolic. Yeah. And you know, in the NCAA, maybe they don't care about what, what people think or what, what they do care when the New York Times and the Washington Post and 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 all these publications start coming after them with that you are you, it's it's the way you're 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 essentially admitting that that, that this is unpaid labor. It, when, if it's not safe, if that stadium is not safe for the families and friends of the players that are on the field, and that stadium is not safe for the student bodies that those players represent, whether we want to laugh at that or not. Then it's not. How do you? How can you then turn around and go? But it's safe for you guys, and and y'all can tackle one another. And you know, there's going to be sweat, and uh, and there's going to be spit, and there's going to be blood, and 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 there's going to be all sorts of. I mean, there's not going to be social yeah. distance. Social distancing won't happen at the 22 yard line. How do you? How you? How do you justify that? I don't think you can. It's why I've told people all along. When Ray Tanner said that about, hey, we're going to socially distance our stadium. And people scoffed at him. I thought, no, no, he's on to something. Because if you, well, they're going to have to. Yeah, I'm not. I don't. I, I'm convinced that that won't work. But they're going to have to at least say that they are. Yeah, There's no other option. Yeah, I mean, but the only way to do that is to say, okay, like Vaught Hemingway, for example. You know, when it's sold out, it's what sixty-two thousand. You say, hey, we're going to allow y'all to put sixteen thousand people in the stadium. I mean, that's it. We're going to space it out and. And uh, and that way, well, give, I mean, given Ole Miss lately, that wouldn't be, you know. <laughs> but I mean, the worst. well, but you say that, and, and you're right. Had had they kept Matt Luke, we would be able to make that joke. But here's reality: if if there was no COVID, Ole Miss's home schedule is supposed to begin. Uh, I guess it's like September the 12th ish against Southeast Missouri, and no matter what yeah. happened against Baylor. The game one of the Lane Kiffin era in Oxford was going to either be a sellout or something very, very close to a sellout. Right. And so, if yeah, you, you know, are you that. are you going to be allowed to pack, or or is it, is it would anyone sign off 
from a legal standpoint on, yeah, sure, man, let 57,000 people in, in the stadium on Saturday. No, I think what they're going to have to do is, I, I think restricted attendance is going to have to occur. I just think how you parse that out is going to be so specific to each university. I don't know how, the, you know, one of the things college football is really good at is avoiding any kind of centralized authority. We don't have it. You know, the NCAA doesn't run the postseason. The conferences have all the power. That's why the Bulls were so influential for as long as they were. Yeah, there's no Roger Goodell. Really there's no David. Have, there's no David Stern. Right. Yeah, yeah. And it's really, it's really going to come down to, well, who's making this decision? Who's telling you that you can or can't do this? And I think it's going to end up being the conferences. Um, and, I mean, look, you know this as well as I do. Like, the, these conferences are not going to work in concert. They never do. So you're going to see, I think, you know, I, I think it's worth examining the major P5 non-conference games in September and figuring out one or, you know, one or more of these may not happen in a realistic situation, especially if you've got a West Coast, East Coast. You know, the, the first one that jumps out to me is USC and Alabama. Now, that game's at a neutral side. I think that's in Arlington. Yep. yep. Governor of California going to be okay with that? With letting that team travel to Texas and then travel back to California, yeah, without without the ability to quarantine for two weeks when they got back, I don't know. It's a great yeah. question. And it's a private university, though. Well, that's true. So, that's what that's what's interesting because you know the governor of, of Alabama is going to say, "Have at it." They, oh, he's going to play on Mars, but uh, or she, uh, she yeah, Kay but the, uh, the the funny thing is like. I, I don't know if the, you know, we've, we've, I think a lot of college football fans have been very paranoid about what in, individual states' governors are saying. It really is going to come down to the school presidents after a certain point. Because what we're seeing, what we're seeing state by state, even in, even in states like California and Oregon and Washington, is an, kind of an, an inevitable pressure to start relaxing some of the restrictions. And you and I were talking about this off air this is where it goes back to we don't know unless we see something resembling the initial february panic things the restrictions are going to recede week by week right right public sentiment is going to change week by week americans by nature are both angry liberty oriented human beings who are very sort of almost stupidly so proud of their free will and you know people are exhausted with it already People, I mean, you know, certainly I'm sure everyone knows a story of somebody who broke quarantine for those first six, seven weeks. But I mean, now people are exhausted and, and looking to go out. And so yep. and you magnify that by another what I mean, 12 weeks of summer. I feel like people are going to the sentiment is going to be very different by the time we get to September, which kind of takes us back to the beginning and that we don't really know. And I think being afraid or angry or speculative about what a governor is saying right now is probably not good forecasting. Yeah, it's the whole making it. It's the micro versus macro decision. There's a completely different deal to say, hey, I'm not comfortable tonight on May the 12th going out to eat inside a restaurant and and then turning around and saying, and I'm also not going to be comfortable in September. The, the statement sure. of, the statement about May the twelfth is perfectly fine. I mean, that's you know, that's, that different people are allowed to have different opinions there, and I'm not judging. Whatever, whatever makes you feel comfortable. But if you say, and in September, I will absolutely be comfortable, or I will absolutely not be comfortable. Well, now you're just now that's agenda driven in my eyes, and that's that's right. a, that's a, now that went from being a, a, a statement, a, a decorative statement, to a a political statement. Oh, well, you damn right, I'm going to be comfortable, or no, there's just no way I'd be comfortable. I don't know how you can say that in May about something that doesn't happen until September. And there's also going to be all sorts of data and, uh, you know, a, a, the, the, whatever the situation is now with testing will be different. Uh, the hospitalization numbers one way or the other will be different than they are today. Uh, th- th- there will be, there will be a, uh, just a completely different set of circumstances. We will have either seen, like you talked about, the NBA and the NHL, they will have either tried and succeeded or tried and failed to resume. Major League Baseball either would have, gone, uh, you know, assuming that they can work out a labor deal, which is another matter entirely, they would have yeah. either, they would have either you know gotten started playing games in 
Chicago and Atlanta and Cincinnati and all of these places and and had success or they would have had failure. There's just so many things out there that there's there's no way to go. Oh yeah, it's definitely going to happen or no, it's it's definitely not going to happen. There's no way to do that. I am uh, Go ahead. Yeah, I would I would say for as a college football fan, you should probably pay more attention to what happens with baseball. Um, only because the function of it is going to be more similar. I think the two, I think basketball and hockey are just going to burn off in a tournament at a single, maybe, maybe one location, maybe two or three in, in like highly restricted closed environment with a limited amount of personnel. Baseball will be a little bit more of a forecast because as far as I know, they're going to try and retain home stadium usage. And so you're going to see travel. You're going to see people moving around. So yeah, hotels. That one to me is a little bit more interesting. Yeah. All right. Here's the other thing that I'm really fascinated by, and I really appreciate your time. But this is this is, you know, a lot of people in the group of five and in those types of programs. It's one thing for Ole Miss or Tennessee or South Carolina or Alabama to say, "Hey, we've got this massive." TV contract with CBS and ESPN and whatnot and, and the SEC network and even if we can't have fans in stands or even if we have to uh, really socially distance and limit attendance we we have to do this meaning uh-huh. this one-off football season where like we talked about maybe a 10-game SEC schedule the group of five schools don't have these massive television contracts if you tell them hey look I'll use Michigan schools, Central Michigan, Eastern Michigan, Western Michigan. If you tell those programs, you can't, we, we, we can't bring kids to campus, can't have fans in the stands, those programs don't start up, Stephen, in my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong. If I am, tell me, no, Neil, you're an idiot. They'll start up. But explain to me how they, how they pull it off. It's hard because the group of five is also national. So, you know, you have the Sun Belt and the Com- and Conference USA schools, which are largely in the like the, the southern footprint. But then it's a completely different situation in the MAC. Um, and in the Mountain West, too, you've got California schools that might be under different kinds of restrictions. Um, I think the immediate concern was, well, what if they cancel all those non-conference games? And it's kind of funny because guess what? Most of those non-conference games, most, when you send Kent State to Auburn to get murdered, yeah, um, the onus is on Auburn. If if Auburn says, "Hey, we're not going to play that game," Kent State's going to go, "Oh man, that's we really that's unfortunate." Um, you owe us one point eight million dollars. So well, Auburn is on the hook to pay that. Um, and that's going to be a problem even for for the Power Five schools. Which is why I don't think, like we talked about this hypothetical 10-game situation, you, you would see a, a lot of legal action take place Yeah, if they burned off any portion of the schedule as it is because the way we've set this crazy system up, it's just not built to survive this. So you know where I'm going as soon as you finish this answer. I mean, you know the next question. What, whether or not the G5 would survive? Whether the Power Five says, you know what, this system is stupid. We've been doing it. This um, it's time you know, for us to break away and, and and form our own deal, and we can make a ton more money, and maybe we play more games, and maybe we lose more games, and maybe maybe it's a little more heat on coaches. But financially, it just makes a hell of a lot more sense because, quite frankly, it's a lot. And the TV you make your TV package worth a lot more. I mean, if you're if you're CB if you're the SEC network. And your ESPN or whatever, as as you know, the SEC, all these grants of rights are, are about to expire here in the next few years. If you offer a TV network, you can have Ole Miss Southeast Missouri, or you can have uh, Ole Miss Oklahoma. I mean, there's there's no question which game's more attractive. I think the problem there is that the you know the reason why the system exists in the first place is their greed. Okay, so no no conference is interested in only playing itself. And a lot of schools are not interested in playing just P5s. I know we've talked, I mean, look, some athletic directors and coaches have said you should only play teams, you know, Power 5 teams should only play Power 5 teams, and everyone should play, you know, as many night. Yeah, remember, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten have been pushing the the, the SEC specifically to adopt a nine-game schedule because they believe it would be a value, or, or, or it would be, an, uh, well, let me back up, Neil. 
they believe it would knock the SEC out of playoff contention and they wouldn't have two teams vying like they do every year because the SEC is so hard that if you would play more SEC games, you would lose more games. Um, that's kind of a different tangent. If you only did the P5 League, I think inevitably you would run out of inventory. And the reason this system exists in the first place is you were talking earlier about if I'm a television network, do I want Ole Miss in South Carolina or do I want Ole Miss in SEMO? Well, they look at it a little bit differently. ESPN and CBS and Fox and NBC are just looking at – they're not looking at quality. They're looking at quantity, right? And they, they're just trying to fill volume. So what – the SEC, yeah, like I think ESPN would love it if the SEC said we're going to play 10 conference games a year. They would then turn around and tell them, hey, see if you can schedule three non-conference games too. Volume has always been the goal. Right. And television has pushed that. And so for the schools to step back, even in a year like this, and say, you know what? This system is ridiculous. Why is Alabama, you know, beating up on Akron? I think the only people that would really take issue with that are the people on the revenue side. I mean, the coaches know it sucks. The players know it sucks. I've done those games. I've embedded with those teams. It is ludicrous because they're not even playing the same sport. Right. But it's done for money. It's that simple. Now, yeah. I do – let me answer – I will say this. Five years from now, I think we're having a conversation about a, some sort of P5 separation. I don't think it could happen in one year overnight. Yeah, I, I, I know it can't. It, what's, you, you talk about all, all of the legal stuff. The legal stuff is, is – because it's going to be difficult to get all the legal stuff done overnight too, and, and some of this stuff yes. is going to happen quickly, and there are going to be people going to court for injunctions. I mean, I, I don't think that's completely unrealistic that that kind of thing begins to happen. Uh, you know, it, it's just – we're in for a fascinating summer. Last thing, because it, it, all of this is somewhat tied together, we talked about the NCAA – for a lot of time, there was this belief among coaches that the uh, the one-time transfer, no penalty rule was going to pass. Then there was, yeah. a, there was a belief that it wouldn't, and then it swung back to, oh, yeah, it's going to pass. And now it's almost a given among coaches, at least, the ones that I've talked to, that they don't think it's going to pass. How much of that, in your opinion, is because there's this fear that in this state of unknown, that if it did pass, the chaos would just be monumental in terms of kids just going you know what i don't know whether i'm i'm at oregon and i don't know whether we're going to play or i'm at central michigan and i don't know whether we're going to play yeah. i'm going to transfer someplace where i know they're going to play I'm, I'm gone this is a rare instance where i might understand where the power holders are coming from and i think if you i think inevitably it's going to happen there will be a, there will be a penalty free one-time transfer policy for fbs football players it's going to happen no sitting out, no transferring down to FCS. Eventually, in the next couple years, it's going to pass. I can understand that this year would not be the best time for that to take hold. So the easiest solution to that is to say it's going to go into effect starting in the 21-22 academic year. I don't see why we couldn't do that. You've been hanging out with uh, a lot of little kids the last few uh, last oh, last God. few months. How how's uh, how's that been? What's 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 parenting been like in the in the Godfrey household uh, during a pandemic? Um, I mean, it, we did seven seven straight weeks, you know, with a uh, a five year old, a two year old who turned three, and a uh, and an infant, a newborn. So yeah, yeah, Neil. Exactly like you thought. <laughs> is your wife still like you, or is, is she? Do you, do you... I, yeah. The funny thing is, is it sort of bonds you. It sort of bonds you and your partner because you have no other choice. It's either that or die. You know. And so, um, all these people talking about all these COVID babies that are going to be born. Let me tell you something. Like, if, if there's a COVID baby that's going to be born because of quarantine, it's going to be your first child. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Child, right now, there's no, yeah, that, that's not happening. You're, you're one of the fortunate people that that your follicles, uh, your follicles aged well, and you, you've been able to continuously grow hair. When was they're last? Gray, yeah, they're gray, but they're still there. <laughs> when was the last time you had a haircut? Ooh, uh, it was before my daughter was born. She was born on the fifth of February. Oh wow! So as I speak, 
so as I speak to you right now, um, what I've just been doing uh, is just putting a hat on backwards for some reason, uh, just to keep it out of my eyes, because I refuse to do a home haircut. I have a barber I've seen for five years. Uh, it's like walking distance from my house in Nashville. And uh, I've actually DM'd him. It's sort of like, it was like losing a girlfriend. And I was like, the moment you can cut my hair, let me know. So I, otherwise, it's just been a, an old Braves hat pulled backwards because I don't know what to do with the damn stuff. All right, truly last thing, and this is an inside baseball kind of thing, but you said something a minute ago. The word, when you said it, it hit me. And, and, and as we were talking, the, the question sort of popped in my mind. You have done incredible work. My words, not yours. You're, you're humble. You've done incredible Thanks. work being embedded in programs where the Army-Navy game comes to mind. There's some other stories that you've done that, that uh, you, you had this level of access that allowed you, uh, for lack of a better word, a certain intimacy with the program where you could tell a story of a team. Yeah. And I don't know when, I don't know that we're going to be able to get that for a while. I mean, the way we do our jobs has mm. at least temporarily fun- fundamentally changed, right? Not about that at all. I would say uh, I would say I doubt it's going to happen in twenty twenty. Yeah, it's it's still there. Yeah, I'm, I'm here. You you, okay. you you broke up a little. You said you doubt if it I happens. You, it's okay. You said you doubt if it happens in twenty twenty. Yeah, I just don't see. I don't see it happening in twenty twenty. I think it'll come back eventually because people are going to want the press. Like you know, the reason that those things exist is because the coaching staffs want them. So uh, if they may take a year off. I think they'll come back gradually. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I, I, I've, I've told people that if, if there are games, and I do think there will be games, I don't think there's going to be on-site media coverage really allowed. I think there's going to be a lot of Zoom calls and, um, yeah. and things of that nature. I just think it's going to be different. I, the one thing I've consistently said, and I think I'm right, is that if, if what you are anticipating is a, a, a football season that looks and feels like every other football season that you can remember, I, I think you're going to be uh, remarkably disappointed. I don't think that's in the cards. No, I think we need to embrace the weirdness because it's going to be weird, and that's okay. The sport does weird very well. And we're going to have a unique year. I mean, that's just that's all there is to it. I, at the end of the day, if you ask me yes or no, we're going to be playing football. I think we will. Something's some version of college football is going to happen, and this will go down as a story you tell forever, and that's okay. Yeah. I do think by the time twenty one rolls around, it it's going to be pretty much the same as it always was. From your mouth to God's ears, Stephen Godfrey, I certainly appreciate the time. I uh, I wish you nothing but the best. Safe travels uh, wherever you're you're headed today, and I hope to talk to you soon. Yes, sir. My thanks to Stephen for his time today uh, on the road as he was traveling, uh, I think, to do uh, to do some work. So, again, thanks to him. We've got some shows planned for you. Uh, this week, I'm talking to Antonio Morales of The Athletic, former Ole Miss beat writer for the Clarion Ledger. He covers USC. We're going to talk about the Pac-12, what that's looking like. Uh, USC and Alabama, Stephen referenced, scheduled to open the season in Dallas, we'll talk about that game, how confident Antonio thinks that's going to be. Uh, Zach Barry and I are talking to uh, Tommy West, the former Memphis coach. We're going to talk to him tomorrow as well. Hope to have uh, that show to you at some point tomorrow. And then uh, I know Chase has some interviews with Adam Gunnishow, and uh, he thinks Anna Wolf uh, as well for probably a Thursday show. And then we are doing a Thursday night live show. I've got several boxes here in the Clark Ford studio, several packages. So we'll do that Thursday night show that's become pretty popular the last few weeks. And that'll be available to you in podcast form on Friday. So that's what's coming your way here on the um, our MPW digital uh, platforms. I taped a mind on my money presented by Pinnacle Trust earlier today. That should be available to you. Uh, taped the greatest pod in the South with Jay Tate, Gabe DeArmond on Monday. Hopefully that'll be up to you uh, here in the next few hours as well. So a lot for you to listen to. We certainly appreciate you sticking with us through these times. And um, thanks for all of your support. Stay safe out there. Take care again. Thanks to Stephen Godfrey. We will talk to you again tomorrow.